This show is brought to you by Growth Australia, market leaders in designing and creating workplaces. Welcome to Let's Talk Growth, Brisbane's number one people and property podcast. Join our fantastic guests to talk about innovation, marketing ideas, and technology that you can apply to your business to facilitate growth. Every project starts with a great design. However, it's important to understand where the rubber hits the road. Enter the Growth Pre-Construction Team, protectors of the design, timeline, and budget. On today's episode of Let's Talk Growth, I'm joined by my two great gentlemen, Nick Bone, who is our pre-construction director. Nick's responsible for taking our clients' projects from inception all the way through to delivery. I'm also joined by the great Ian Gilmore. Whilst he is one of the founders of Growth Australia, he's here in his capacity as commercial director, where he's involved in front-end sales and is the link between early communications and the tangible built form. We hope you enjoy. Listeners. Welcome back to Let's Talk Growth. It's been a while. I've had a slight sabbatical. Nothing too exciting. I've been forced to do my day job. Very boring, I know. But I'm back and I have got a treat for you today. I'm joined by Nick Bone. Welcome, Nick. Welcome. Thank you. And Ian Gilmore. Thank you, Daniel. Now, I've already done the intros, gentlemen, so we don't need to rehash those, but Bones and Gilmore, a dynamic duo, the Thelma and Louise of the construction world. (laughs) No, they're not really. They're not driving uh, projects off a cliff. They're they're facilitators, which is brilliant. The gents join me today. They are an integral part of our pre-construction team at Growth Australia. And if you think back to the previous episode where we had our fantastic designers with us, we spoke about the inception of in-house design really being integral in the growth business, allowing us to offer a better level of service to our clientele earlier in the piece by really having that hand-holding approach and designing early. So everything from the first brush stroke all the way through to handing the keys over. I personally think one of the other benefits that we've had and how we've really been able to make that tangible is investing in the pre-construction team, which is why I thought it's a great opportunity to have you both in here today to talk about when we get that great design, how do we then make the magic happen and how do we get it to site? And then how do we make sure the integrity of that design and build carries through? Fantastic. Quite an introduction. I might now throw to you, Mr. Gilmore, just to give us a bit more of an introduction. Obviously, people know that you are one of the founders, but you are here in your capacity as a pre-con team member. So I thought it would be good for you to give us an overview on our pricing model at Growth Australia fiscal control for our clients and why we go with that methodology as opposed to some of the others out there. Fantastic. Thank you, Daniel. Very excited to be here. First time behind the mic. Oh, any nerves? Oh, no, no. It's like uh, doing a sales pitch, only you're my client. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And Bones, any nerves? Oh, shaking. Shaking. <laughs> He's cool, calm and collected. He is indeed. Brilliant. He is indeed. No, look, thank you, Dan. I guess for us, it's what is the client value we're adding? And when we first set up the business, which is actually five next year, stand by for the party invite. Oh, bit of an early plug there for the party next year. I was going to... Oh, good. Yeah. Hopefully, we can um, draw our clients in. So now, when we set up the business, it was very exciting because we had this opportunity to really take them on a procurement model, which I think is probably the safest pair of hands for our clients. So... When we're talking about procurement, a lot of our clients, they've got a few options to them. So we offer DNC model, which is the design and construct model, and we turn our designs into a GMP. Now, GMP for us is a guaranteed maximum price. 
So what we're saying there is the client gets a test bit, which obviously our lovely design team work on. They then hand it to the client and the client firstly wants to know, well, how much is that going to cost? So part of our pre-con role is to ensure that we can put a dollar square meterage against that design that not only fits the client's budget, but also fits in with what the market's doing at the moment. So for us, it's having that ability to price a schematic plan. There's a methodology called LST, which is lump sum tendering. It's a war acronyms early, isn't it? It is indeed. <laughs> it is. I will keep explaining as I, as I no, say. No, no, much appreciated. For my benefit, more than anyone else's, fantastic. Awesome. So the way we talk about lump sum tendering is a client will often get a design fully documented. And when we're talking about fully documented, they will get it drawn. So it's a quite a lengthy process to, to get it drawn. They've got to go back and forward. And there's no fiscal control at that particular time. So the architect will maybe get a QS on board, quantity surveyor for your benefit, Daniel. Brilliant. <laughs> We've just finished a QS firm, actually. So we will get a um, full set of drawings in the lump sum world. And the risk associated to that methodology is the client doesn't know how much it costs until they go out to tender. So just to go back one step, when you say the client doesn't necessarily have fiscal control, do you mean that they conveying their brief, they don't know what the repercussions of their brief have from a dollar value? Correct. That just gets drawn up and it's kind of, well, you've given us your brief and it's $2,000 a square meter. Well, hang on, we thought it was going to be $1,500 a square meter. So correct. is that the gap you're talking about? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So I always like to refer it back to people when they build a house. So when you build a house, you often say, right, I want to spend a million dollars, two million dollars, whatever your budget is. And if anyone's seen Grand Designs Australia, we always know the budget always overruns and the time frame to build it always overruns. Yeah. They always start off with a budget that's in their mindset. Ultimately, they finish it at the end and it runs out. Very true. Getting a lot of nodding from Nick over here. Obviously yeah. built a house recently. <laughs> definitely did go through my own renovation and time and cost was definitely the key factor. There we go. So what we're trying to say is if we work on a schematic plan, and then we introduce our pre-construction team, they can start to put real solid budgeting down against that concept test fit. So the client really can start to shape and mould their budget as they start to shape the design as well. Fantastic. So just delving into our model a little bit more, how do we ensure there's probity across our suppliers? So Nick, is there? we've got that test fit, we've then got that high level budget. How do we then take it from that position and, and sort of move it through the gears to make sure that we're getting on site and that we're hitting any probity that the client might need or that we might need as well? So our important part with that, and definitely with my background coming from client-side project management, it's integral to the project to have that early success and the hard work done in the early phases of the job. So to ensure that we are minimizing the risk to our clients, we use our trusted panel of contractors, we use our partnered consultants, our partner certifiers, and our in-house design team to ensure that we capture all the nuts and bolts of the design, figure out where the key risks are, and present them early. Just to add to that, I think one of the key things that I learned, so I've come from a background of working with three or four different builders, and we've worked in all different methodologies. The power is when you've actually won the project. So if I give an example of that, when we are lump sum tendering, you're going to a supply chain of subcontractors. Nick just mentioned we've got our core that we've built over 15-year relationships. If I go to them and say, right, I'm pricing this job, I'm one of circa five builders. Mm. I've also gone to five individual subcontractors. They're less inclined to give us their best price. They're less inclined if they're busy themselves just to flick us a price, which might be fraught with risk because it hasn't been qualified. So having our own key supply chain and ensuring that they worked with us, we reward them with more work. 
So when you've got hold of the client, you've won the work, it's a guaranteed project. Therefore, yeah. you go into one of three to make sure that you get your probity, you're understanding their capacities, understanding that they can actually do the project. We're also looking at statistical data, understanding how did that subcontractor perform on our last project? Could they resource him? So we've got a benchmarking system as to how we ensure the quality of those suppliers now and moving forward absolutely and it's also horses for courses so we wouldn't go to horses a, for courses that's great saying that isn't it so good on the field yeah <laughs> he's, he's, nailing it. He's, he's outshining me early here Mr. Oh, there we go so what i'm meaning by that is we wouldn't go to a national electrical contractor who's got 400 staff 500 staff sure. for a project that might be circa a 200k spent so ensuring that we've got a subcontractor that can meet the demand of the size of the projects as well brilliant i think that's a really great place to start I just want to summarize that because there's quite a lot of detail there. So essentially what we're saying is that the procurement method that we use being a guaranteed maximum price directly allows us to affect our client's scope to ensure that we're hitting their budget. So if they've got a budget of $1,700 a square meter, we've got our test fit plan. We can rationalize that by saying, here's the finishes that we may or may not need to swap out. Here's some scope that we may need to draw down on, but without affecting the design intent. We then go to our three or four preferred suppliers, contractors who we benchmark against quality, ability to hit the brief, and then how they've performed on the last job. So that sort of summarizes our methodology of our procurement to market. So how do we now grab that? Where would the pre-construction team first initiate with our client? Is it handover meeting? How do we work with the design team to make that process seamless? So can you take us from We've got our test fit, we've agreed that, we've got our first high-level cost plan. How do we now start plugging in the gaps of what we would call, well, what is our engagement method firstly? Stage one and two, run us through that, and then talk us through those steps of getting to site. Absolutely. So we work on a LOI, a letter of intent. Another one. I think he's up to five for the podcast. We've never had more than five, so he comes up with another one. We'll have to... We need a little ding bell yeah, every yeah, time yeah, it's absolutely. said. So our clients will engage us on an LOI, and that is a two-stage process, which you just explained. So the first one is, that, is there a commitment? So guys, we're going to put some resources in from Growth Australia. Often it's our design team. Daniel, you work in the front end of sales, therefore your time's free. But when oh, we do get a client signed up, we like to say, me there, isn't he? Straight off no, the bat. I'll let it slide. You're just, you're just a very <laughs> nice guy, mate. Very nice guy. So once the client's signed their first engagement, that's really a commitment, and that will allow us to deploy a design resource. That design resource, as you mentioned, will take it through to a test fit and get it to a real concept stage. We might do some workplace strategy. We might work on a needs analysis. It might be the client's resigned and they've basically got some incentive money from their particular landlord that they want to just refresh the office space to. So uh, stage one for us is to get it to a commitment level, get a design to the client's brief that they're happy with. Once that stage one's engaged, we then need to work through what the risks to the project might be. Risk for us is all around the services. So mm -hmm. when we're talking services, we're talking anything above the ceiling. So mechanical, electrical, fire, and then you've got your hydraulics, which sits in your kitchen. And look, that's something... If I'm a client, I've probably not even considered that at this stage. I'm just looking at that 2D plan and thinking, well, everything looks great. Surely those services are in place. So what process do we need to go through to make sure that that doesn't become a risk for clients? Well, that's where the stage two will kick in. So we would then get a certifier. We would then get a services consultant, someone who's generally in tune with that building or listed on that particular building. And they start to become part of our risk mitigation team. So Nick and his team will send those plans off to the certifier to make sure that we've got compliance in the floor plan, what we've drawn. 
ensure that the services consultants are looking at the mechanical services, the fire services. Do we have enough fresh air in the building? Do we have enough chilled water loop, etc.? And then we start to really develop the design in conjunction with design as well as with the services engineers. And that's where Nick and his team sort of take it through. And that's our stage two engagement. Sure. And Nick, as pre-con director, just give us an overview of the structure of your team, who the players are in that and where they sort of plug in and what value they add through the process. Oh, so we've got design managers that we have that run each individual project. Mm-hmm. And those design managers will reach out to the services consultants and certifiers to go and check their initial legalities and issues with any existing form and building services. And they'll also reach out to the landlord with any particular constraints. So with that, my team looks like at the moment, one design manager and there's another one coming on board with an estimating team as well. Fantastic. And then the estimating function, they've already plugged in in that initial high level cost plan. And they're now just working with the design manager Mm. and the in-house design team to make sure what we've designed is going to be buildable and that the budgets are sort of staying where they need to be. Yes. So with the unknowns that come out of the services existing and new builds that we are working in, the flexibility and the deviation of price Mm. does change. So therefore, we massage that down with with mitigation of some key fit-out constraints, Mm -hmm. as in we might knock back a few office spaces and not do operable walls so we have more budget for the fixed costs that we find through the services. It's probably worth mentioning as well there that the client's always in control of the budget. Sure. So whenever we have these meetings in this sort of pre-con phase, the client's being updated with a cost plan associated. Mm-hmm. So if we're going for a target budget of circa 1800 bucks a meter, and then they put all their scope in, that might come out slightly more, it might come out slightly less. So Nick's team will really work with that client hand in hand, understanding, look, your mechanical's coming in a little bit higher than we might have allowed for. We've increased it here, so to offset that, we've reduced some joinery over here. Is that so, their assumption? Yeah, that's correct. So we're not then just passing on a straight variation saying, hey, look, the mechanical's coming over. Part of that guaranteed maximum price, part of our skill set is making sure that we understand where things can be moved around to still achieve the same goal without affecting design intent where we can. Yeah. So one of the most important things about the guaranteed maximum price is that's fixed at contract stage. Sure. So in the stage one and stage two, where we're still working with that client. There's still some flex. Working out what their number is. Sure. So there might be capacity saying, no, we need pack units in every single room. Yeah, of course. So then we're looking at really upping that price because it's the key fit-out requirement. Yeah, no, understood. And not to jump around too much, but I want to give businesses who may be listening to this some context of all of this is going on. At what stage are they typically at in their negotiation or their property search? Where are we up to in that piece? Have they signed a lease yet or are they in the process of signing a lease? Just give us some context on, more often than not, where our clients are in that journey. I can feel another acronym coming on, Dan. Oh, I'm ready. Here we go. I've got the notepad out now. This is very educational. Number six. So often or not, we will work with our clients before they've selected a building. So part of the design podcast you probably heard was to take a ghost fit to the market, Mm -hmm. allow our clients to understand how much space they need. Once they've got that, we will generally select a preferred building, and that's where they sign there. You ready? HOA. Oh, Dan, you're an ex-leasing agent. off the tongue. Ex-leasing agent, Dan, do you want to explain what a HOA is? That's a heads of agreement, which is your initial term sheet that you would negotiate. It's a non-legally binding document, but it essentially outlines the main clauses of a deal. And Nick, formerly being a landlord, you'd be um, very versed in some of those clauses, but it allocates the incentive, the headline rent, increases, outgoings, those types of things. Yeah, correct. So... 
We talked about a commitment for our stage. So that's really where the tenant has committed to a landlord or to an asset. That's generally where we get involved in that pre-con phase. So our stage one engagement is prior to help them select the building. Mm-hmm. And then once they've selected that building, our stage two would kick in. We believe, rule of thumb, anywhere between six to eight weeks, maybe slightly longer in today's market, is where they would negotiate from their heads of agreement through to a, a lease. So talk to me about where the risk sits in that six to eight week period, because we've got three interested parties. There's three parties there that are in good faith negotiating or working towards a deal getting done. You've got the landlord who has had a signature from a tenant saying, yes, we want to move to your asset and your building on this rent, this size for this amount of term. We've got the tenant who is eager to move in and typically they're now discussing with their existing landlord what they need to do from make good obligations, but they haven't legally committed to that space yet. So there's a little bit of limbo there. And then you've got ourselves, the the fit out design and delivery provider, who are very much, are we wearing the risk of the costs that are needed to keep that on track because we don't have a contract yet and there's no lease yet? So how do we negate that as our team and work with our clients to make sure that we don't lose time on the project, we keep things moving, but we make sure that no one's overexposed to risk? It's a great question, Dan, and it's one that we had to evolve as well. So the stage one engagement for us is that obligatory just to understand what's the space requirements we do at space fitting and what sort of costs just ballpark figure for that stage one engagement to get a design a cost plan and some due diligence on the building that you're moving to what are we looking at there it depends on how many buildings we're doing but i would say between eight and ten k okay fantastic so quite an arbitrary figure that is Correct, yeah. doesn't overexpose anyone. And then, and then the stage two fees, as Nick explained is to get some preliminary advice from the services consultants to get from the certifier we might need to do a an fer review FEL, Dan? Jeez. Fire engineering report, mate. Oh, wow. You're teaming up on me now. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) So that, as I mentioned, that's doing the risk mitigation up front there as well. So unfortunately, the services consultants based on a building, they have tenants signing HOAs all the time, so they can't work for free. So we've got to do a financial commitment to those guys too. So the way we risk mitigate that is we're preempting in that very first client meeting with our clients, guys, have you guys done a fit out before? 80% 80% of the people haven't, so we've got to be that safe pair of hands for those guys to take them through the journey. Definitely. So what we do is we try to say, look, if you can accrue or have a pot of money circa 40 or 50K put aside that sits outside of the landlord incentive, that's going to really allow us to get you to a level of risk mitigation, almost a full set of plans and a budget which is going to be within 5% variance by the time you get to your lease execution. You asked the question previously, what are the risks? The other risks is clients making decisions. So sure, yeah, absolutely. When you're working and Nick, coming from, from Texas, you would have had some big corporates, I'm sure, in your um, buildings coming through where the lease negotiations could be longer than that 10, 12, 14 weeks. Yeah, the decision-making process has always been tricky because you get multiple stakeholders that want different things mm. and then multiple constraints to design that affect different aspects of it and also the current climate so during the big covid period that we had you know everyone moved back to a more of an office quiet booth vc room scenario and now everyone's coming back and covid's settled down to some degree everyone's looking back to that more open workplace so we've also seen the legal fraternity which we've done probably eight or nine legal firms this year alone the legal fraternity is so busy. So when clients engage their lawyers to go through the um, conveyancing part and to put their lease together, we're actually waiting on third-party people to come back. So we can go as fast as we can, but it's that 
endorsement from the third party consultants who sit around the building lease as well as the client's infrastructure as well, which often not can be a risk to the timeframes. Mm. So when we first start talking to clients and we get that initial handover from the sales team from the LOI stage one and moving to stage two where the pre-construction team really gets their teeth into the project, we work with that client about what knowing sorry, about knowing what their key drivers are, what their lease commencement dates, any big risks that they have. And then we deliver them a high-level program back. And that puts in milestones for the client so then they can manage and they can work with us to the same deadlines. And that's typically when we kick off a weekly PCG diary placeholder so we can assist, manage, program and capture any changes in that with the client. Correct. Fantastic. I'll, I'll do your role there. PCG project control group oh there we go give yourself Another a mark one. as well Dan. i've done one there i didn't so even we've know got it. eight now i think we have, I think we, have. <laughs> we can't go past 10 i won't i won't allow it i won't allow it brilliant so we've had the certifiers now they've been engaged let's assume we've had landlord approval so we've submitted some drawing with the level of detail that the landlord's comfortable with where services are going the fer has been taken into account and logistics and everything's ticked off are we then engaged into a formal contract with our client or what are the steps now from getting those building approvals to getting through to being on site with the client or with the project? So that would build, as you just described there, the full construction pack that sure. we would send out to trades and get it building on site. So we would share all that documentation with the client and the landlord to make sure we get full sign off. That would build the final dollar value for the construction contract. Once that's signed and agreed, we'll set that finalization date with the client to start on site and then do an introduction to the project team. Fantastic. And just high level in that full construction pack, what are some of the things that are maybe some of the more exciting things that the client can review in that pack? Is there elevations? Is there what can they expect to see in one of those? Yeah. So you, you probably recall from the design presentation, we did a renders. So the renders... I do love renders. They do look great. I'm not a very they? visual person, so they always really help to assist in that. That means you are a visual person. Well, there you go. He's, <laughs> he's, he's trying to snooker me on my own oh, podcast, I doesn't he? Yeah. I, I apologise. So no, I think of the renders... Gil, I'm not having him back. <laughs> outrageous. He's trying to be a I'll out. be asking the questions, thank you. <laughs> so from the renders, you get to see, which is one of the client's most favourite things, the kitchen. So within our kitchen, we've got the joinery elevations. We've also got the finishes, which starts to get adopted into the renders. So when we're talking finishes, we're looking at the tabletops for the kitchen. Is it stone? Is it corian? Is it a laminate, etc.? Just quickly, give me the difference between joinery and a furniture item. So joinery is fixed. It's manufactured. Often it can be bespoke. It can be custom to the particular sizing of the fit out as well. Mm -hmm. Whereas a furniture piece is loose. Okay, gotcha. Correct. Fantastic. So we're on site. We've handed over. How can the client assess that they've had a successful journey with the pre-con team? How do we hand the project to the delivery team? How does that run? And what are the tangible things that the client will receive at that handover point? So I feel like the key measure of success with out of the pre-con team is if we hold true to the early program that's delivered at the start. So the faster we get through that process and the more definitive we have with our documentation means that we've got a really good brief, we've met the requirements of the client, we've gone and the market's responded back with a quick turning around of services drawings and certification reviews and the landlord's all on board. So the quicker we do that, the more time and cost we can have in the pre-warm-up to getting on site. It's a great statement there too. We love a client who's come to us with a lease expiring circa about a year out. 
when you get into that sort of six months expiry, the process can take six months. So I think a successful handover is giving our delivery team enough time to hit their contractual mm. practical completion date. And there's a lot in the market at the moment and the news and people are very well aware, residential, commercial, long lead time items and that affecting program, that's something that we capture earlier in those steps to make sure the program doesn't blow out? Yeah, so one of the early stages, and this is actually in the sale as well, so before we've even secured the client, we will put a risk matrix together, and procurement lead time items always forms part of that risk. So part of the consultation with our clients is, well, there might be some elements at PC, practical completion, that once we've handed over that might be installed, and the lead items that we look at, that the common occurrences are operable walls. So your movable bifold walls. Depends on the finish that you select as well, but an operable wall currently is on a 14 to 16-week lead time. Wow. So we've got to ensure that in the early phases of pre-con that we're educating our clients because there's nothing worse than the client turning up on the handover day mm. and the first thing they say is, oh, where's the operable wall? Mm. So it's making sure it's minuted, it's documented, the lead time registers are updated every PCG. That's something that a client can deal with. They can have all the infrastructure and it can get installed whenever it comes post-occupancy. Where we'd run into issues would be, we come back to mechanical once again. So supplementary air units. So when we build a boardroom or a space that's greater than eight people, we have to put a supplementary air unit, which puts more fresh air into the room. And the weather is starting to change a bit, isn't it? Yeah. It's getting very humid. And to reiterate Gilly's comment there, we would be looking to see if mitigation no, our mitigation tactic would be to get an early procurement of those items so we'd look to partner with the client to get early deposits to lock away those scopes of works so that way they just slot in where yeah. they should in the original program correct absolutely yeah i think the furniture at the moment as well so a lot of manufacturing coming overseas we had a um, economist talk to us about the shipping into Australia. Absolutely. It's, it's not high on the radar. We are not a massive consumer in the shipping world. So when our design team are working with furniture pieces, for example, we design on a practicality level. So everybody loves to have Italian furniture, but unfortunately that attracts a 16 to 18, sometimes 20 week plus. So if it's a rug, the client might be willing to wait for that. But if it's a task chair that um, needs to be there on operational day one, then obviously they'd stick with local manufacturers and local suppliers. Fantastic. That's been really informative. To round out and to finish off, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you could just give us in sort of 15, 20 words, how do we summarize the role that the pre-construction team play in the Growth Australia process? What would we like to leave listeners with? I would say... No acronyms. No acronyms. (laughs) They are in a safe pair of hands from the outset. They get a pragmatic and thought design that fits their budget. And the pre-con team will ensure that the construction is delivered on time. Oh, he should be back in the sales team, yeah. shouldn't he? Mr. Bone, any advances on that? I'd consider it a safety net for the client. Yeah. So instead of the client acting as their own PM and going out and sourcing all this themselves, they get that in-house with us. We can manage them through the whole process. They can feel comfortable and confident knowing that their fit out is going to be exactly what they want. Fantastic. I think you've hit the nail on the head there as well, not just sourcing it themselves, mm. but dealing with multiple third parties where levels of communication may be different. We capture all of that. We capture all of the scope, all of the amendments under one roof and make sure that that's consistently conveyed across the project. Nailed it. Absolutely. We always talk to clients in the early phase who haven't done a fit out before. We understand they've still got their day jobs to do as well. Sure. And, and doing a million dollar build, if you've not done it, can be quite daunting. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of information coming through. So I think if we continue to offer that one point of contact as we go through our design to our pre-con to our 
delivery team, the pre-con guys stay right the way through to the end of the project to ensure the information between what comes out of pre-construction into the delivery team, they've always got a point of contact to refer back to. Fantastic. I think that's a great place to leave it. I would like to thank our fantastic loyal audience for continuing to listen. And we'd like to thank you both gentlemen for your attendance today on Let's Talk Growth. Thank you, Dan. Fantastic. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, if you've got any questions about any of the topics or you'd like to join us on one of the podcasts, please contact us via talk at growthaustralia.com.au. See you next time.